Welcome to Business of Design. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. The Business of Design podcast offers immediate, actionable strategies and a glimpse into some of the many field-tested, proven systems you can implement to transform your business and your life. After the show, head to businessofdesign.com and get started with the BOD 15-step project management strategy and six foundational programs. Together, they deliver the systems, procedures, and strategies you need to run a successful, highly profitable design business. There's no theory here. The complete BOD business model is yours through Business of Design membership. Business of Design. There's only one. And now, your BOD Advocate-in-Chief, Kimberly Selden. I bet you woke up this morning and thought, man, I wish I knew how to do more with lighting. You are so fortunate because that is exactly what we are going to be talking about in this epic episode, episode 340, Do More with Lighting with Joe Barres. I can't say I have an all-time favorite guest because there's too many great ones, but this is definitely headed toward the top of that list. Joe is just a wealth of knowledge and so generous, and he is able to explain things in such a logical fashion. It makes so much sense. We have to have him back on the show, but you haven't even heard the first one yet. You are really in for a treat. Joe is a technology, electrical, and lighting expert. And I say he's an expert not because he says he's an expert or it's printed on his business card, but because he's been doing this for 31 years. He knows what he's talking about. The advice he's going to give us is so solid, and I suspect you're going to feel the way I did after speaking to Joe, which is, I need to step it up with my lighting. I know you've heard me say this. It's something I've been working on, and I feel like Joe's just kicking that can a little further down the field with more good information. I'm really excited to implement. Let me tell you a little bit about Joe. Officially, he's the founder of TriStar Electric and Automation. He consults people for everything to do with technology, all the automation, all the lighting, anything that has an electrical component. And he's working in multi-million dollar homes where he is really able to explore what's the latest, what's the greatest in all of these areas. Joe works out of Malibu, California. So he's really in that ultra high luxury market and there's no shortage of customers who fit that description in that part of the world for sure. And I'm sure working in a neighborhood like that would push you to create exceptional lifestyle experiences because this clientele is used to that and they're looking for that. Joe says he's on a mission to make electrical lighting and automation a priority instead of an afterthought. You know, and I have to say, I have been guilty of treating that as a bit of an afterthought. I will say that. Not anymore, but it sort of fell off my radar as being a top priority on a project for a while. In fact, I think at some point, Joe says something which I have to cop to completely, which is often lighting choices are dictated by what we did previously. You know, on the last job we did XYZ, that was good enough. We'll do that on this job. And I have to say, yeah, I don't do that in other categories, but with lighting, Somehow I landed in that zone. I had to laugh when Joe said, if your lighting plans today, you know, 2023, 2024, look like the lighting plans of 1995, you know you're a little bit behind the times. 
Honestly, I thought that was hilarious because I found these old blueprints of my husband's office building, which was built in the 1950s. And I have to say, the lighting plans don't look terribly different in those drawings than they do in the majority of residential drawings we produce in my office. So anyway, that was then. This is now. I've learned a lot. I'm definitely one of those people who implements what I learned. And there's a lot to take away in this episode. Man, if you think this is a business you can be complacent in, I just have not found that to be true. I no sooner start thinking I'm doing really well than some category or some area reveals itself. And I'm like, oh, wow, I have to do better. And this is a big one for me this last year. That's one of the things I love so much about hosting this podcast. I meet these amazing, interesting guests who are expert. I meet you. You have expertise, right? And I'm able to take away things that allow me to make small tweaks to my business. You have to have an overarching process in place to run projects. But once you have that, small tweaks can make all the difference. I'm just so grateful I have this opportunity to host this podcast. And the only reason that's possible is because you keep listening. So really and truly, thank you. We appreciate it so much. And before we get into the episode, you know where I'm going to have a quick conversation with Cheryl Horn. I know so many of you feel like you know her and you want to meet her. I'm hoping next year we'll get her out to Las Vegas market and even High Point. Cheryl has a big grin on her face. What is going on? Well, I just want to start by saying, you know, yay and welcome to so many new members. Uh, Last week on the announcements, I sort of did a a shout out for membership. And if you've been a long time um, listener, take action, become a member, join us, implement the systems, do the work. And I think it's amazing what happens when somebody sort of holds you accountable and tells you to take action. So I've had so many great conversations in the last week, getting to meet some new members you know, podcast, longtime podcast listeners, I always hear, I feel like I know you because I hear you every week on the podcast for my little announcements. Anyway, so welcome and yay. <laughs> um, but we are already into September. Oh my goodness. Which means that our live BOD 15 seminars are only a month away. So now is the time to register. If you are interested, we are going to be in Toronto, October 4th and 5th, and then Winchester for those in the DC area on October 25th and 26th. So if you want to join us for two very intense days, I feel the need to, you know, use the word intense. They are very full. You get through the the full BOD 15 in those two days. We do keep these groups very small because it's also like a mini group coaching session where you get that one-on-one time with Kimberly. If you are already, if you've already taken the BOD 15 through membership and you're struggling to implement in certain areas, or you have very project-specific questions, this is your opportunity to ask those questions. Make sure that you understand and you have every step clarified so that you can implement effectively for every project. So please sign up. Um, Complete details are on the website. Tickets are $21.95. You're going to save $200 if you are a member and uh, space is limited. We do have a couple spots left for both of those locations, Um, but if you are interested, please go ahead and sign up. And then by all means, if you've got questions, you can reach out to me as well, Cheryl at businessofdesign.com. Thanks so much. I'd love to hear from you. Hey, Joe, how are you today? 
I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, tell me where you are calling in from. Malibu, California. You are not. I am. I can I, see you. I'm in Santa Monica. Wait, wait. Oh so your hand. Are, I'll see where you I are. I would say we're 18 minutes from each other. That's hilarious. Yeah, I'm right up to PCH. Okay, yeah, I'm on PCH right now. That's why I'm saying I totally can see you. That's hilarious. That's so funny. Uh, anyway, hi, neighbor. Hi, how are you? <laughs> uh, I, I'm excited to talk to you because recently it has come to my attention that I am not doing as good a job with lighting design as I do with so many other categories. And it's funny because when I got, when I launched my business and I got out of design school, initially I had a lighting design company that I worked with and I learned a lot, but somewhere over the years, they kind of fell out of being part of my A-team. And I realized maybe six months, nine months ago that I'm just kind of phoning it in, in the lighting department, which is really a pity because it can make or break the job. Really, really important. Um, you know, and especially with the, in, interior designers role within uh, residential, whether it's a renovation, uh, new construction is, is the lighting often overlooked? And I would say, yes, a hundred percent. So a lot of times, like, you know, you'll have a challenging job when you get a when you get a new project and it, it's already built. So a homeowner buys a new home, they say, you know, we want you to do your thing. And, and you start realizing, wow, okay, what could we do within the existing infrastructure of the, of the home with the lighting to really enhance you know, your design, your interior design, instead of just saying, oh, this is what the contractor put in and that's the end of it. There's so much more involved. And, and as technology has advanced, it also goes into the finishes of the devices too, which gets you into electrical lighting controls, you know, wall switches, and whether it's going to be a smart home, if there's touch panels, how do we bring technology into a home without it looking like, uh, you know, like an IMAX theater. So it's, it's so, you know, your department and mine really should be working closer together now more than ever. Yeah, I, I'm 100% convinced that is true. And one of the categories you mentioned definitely is a sore spot for me. I realize we've been doing the same kind of decora switches mm -hmm. for like, I don't even know how long. They right. look so tired to me. And I know there are other solutions that are so much sexier. So glad you brought that up because believe it or not, you know, so as a, as a, this is my 31st year in the industry. So obviously, you know, just like you walk into a home, you walk into a restaurant, your eye goes the way it goes within the interior design. When you're looking at fabrics, you're looking at, you know, distances of spaces, you're looking at, you know, uh, wood quality of tables. That's what you look at. And I look at lighting. I look at, uh, I look at outlets. I look at switches. I look at smoke detectors, TVs, wiring, speakers, all that stuff goes in your mind. Right. So I really believe that just what you said is true the electrical and lighting devices that are currently installed are only installed because that's just always how we do it. That's always what's done. Oh, that's what's expected when you go into a bathroom to have a switch for the exhaust fan, the shower light, you know, a, a GFI per code, a vanity light, and then maybe a separate area for the water closet, all these switches everywhere. And, and without realizing what is it, what has changed. So I always make a, a funny comparison that if you took a, uh, a set of um, electrical and lighting drawings from 1985 for a new construction residential house in New Rochelle, and you put it against the Bel Air 2023 standard home, you know, not a, a big compound or anything, it's it's the same drawing. Yeah. I can't understand why that is. It's always <laughs> the same drawing. So then what ends up happening is 
you know, you get involved in the project and you start putting your spin on it. And then we would be getting involved and we're trying to now meet with the architect to change the understanding of the lighting controls. And they said, oh, no, we just put down the job to get through plan check in regards to the switching. And, you know, but meanwhile, the electrician that they hired maybe started wiring already or and it just becomes a, a real um unnecessary challenge instead of um, going from the beginning. So getting back to your question about the decor devices. So light switches and dimmer switches, they still work the same. They go on, they go off, they raise and they lower. So now it's really just a matter of the aesthetics. So there's plenty of manufacturers that really have upgraded that aesthetics. And then when you get into the smart home environment where you have lighting controls, that's when they become um, mostly low voltage. So it's a, it's a much yeah, easier wiring and a much more robust programming um, endeavor that you get to take on. And then you only have one beautiful piece of jewelry on the wall that would be engraved to do your lighting scenes or control the physical lights in those rooms, whether it's a pendant or, or a scene or something like that. So there is so much advancement that I still feel that needs to get out there instead of just putting in the standard decor switches and then figuring it out later and if then if their integrator wants to upgrade that, then they just paid for it first. Now they got to pay for it again. And it's it's yeah. all unnecessary. So yeah. I'm almost like speaking like something that it's almost like the unsung like thing. Like, why is nobody t- talking about this? Well, the thing is, you know, when you go into a space, when the lighting is bad, you may not think, man, the lighting is bad in here, but you feel crappy. You don't look good. You don't feel great. Right. And conversely, you know, when you walk into a space and you just feel like a million bucks, lighting is probably part of the reason for right. that. Right. Right. And you won't even notice why it's so great. You just you you'll notice when something's off versus when something's right. Because when something's right, it just seems to work out. And you know, we um, I remember we finished the project in West Hollywood, and and the interiors just were just spectacular. And I said to the interior designer at the time, I said, you know. One thing about your your design that's very impressive is that it's not designed. You walk into this this home, it just works. Like you're not like, oh my god, they did a red wall here and they put this. It just none of that comes. It just just seamlessly happens, and just the same with lighting. And that's when you know it's just good design when you don't notice anything and it's just perfect. Well, that's a good place to start because I often find the frustration of go working on a project that where the house is already built. Mm-hmm. We're stuck with outlets and switches in the middle of a wall where there should be a piece of art. It's so hard to get contractors to um to change kind of the practice of where they automatically put switches and things like that. Right. So I'm assuming you're going to tell us that we should be thinking about this very early in the design process and not exclude this from early budget conversations. Right. So uh, let's, let's take that example for an existing home. Nine out of 10 times, if not 10 out of 10, the electrical and lighting wouldn't even be discussed until the construction started. And that's just the mistake right there. So, um, you know, everything else is planned out, right? Finishes and, and uh, you know, door casings and hardware and anything else, you know, kitchen cabinets and appliances. Everybody's talking about that stuff, but nobody's thinking about everything else, like the electrical requirements, you know, where are the electrical panels? Do we have enough uh, power to the structure? Is there going to be an ADU uh, built later on? Do we have conduits to go outside? How do we get those outside? Does the client already, um, you know, have an existing, you know, uh, integrator from their previous home that they want to bring over? Uh, for their network or is this you know their third or fourth property do they travel you know all that stuff has to come into play and i think that um the only way to do that is is prior so if you don't look at every aspect of the industry 
prior to any job, whether it's a new job or the renovation. All it's going to do is drive the cost up and push the schedule out. Two things that no client wants to do. They want to move in quicker and they don't want to spend as much money. Right. So, you know, you have to do this ahead of time. So early is the only way, not because, oh, you have to get in there early to get the client's ear. It's really not about that. It's if you want to do a good job, you have to get all everything out in the open. Then if you if you can present upgrading the existing lighting, what's going to take to break the walls to, uh, you know, relocate, um, you know, outlets and, and, and switches, let's say, away from feature walls. If you're going to do artwork or, you know, if you're going to do wainscoting, whatever the, the, the scope of work is, you know, you have to bring up all that stuff. And then if, then when it comes to budgeting, you can say, okay, it's going to be $20,000 to do all these changes. And then they could say, okay, forget the Wayne's coding. Then it's not worth it. We'll deal with it when we, you know, um, do something down the road. Well, they'll know what it is. And then that's the end of it. But it's crazy to have the Wayne's coding getting put on and go, Oh God, what are we going to do? There's all these Oops. layers. <laughs> and, and if you're doing Wayne's coding for a perfect example, and I learned this many years ago is that, you know, the vertical styles that go between the panels, you want the outlets to go within code, obviously, and you may have to add one or two, is to go within those styles. Because imagine you have a three-foot panel in between the verticals, and then the outlets are off. Like, I'll notice that in a second, and everything should be yeah. perfect. Why not go center? You know, so all these things come into play. Is it too much to to ask? Thank you. That's That's good advice. And we've changed how we work based on my recent conclusion that I need a lighting designer back in my life. So now what we do is we do kind of our standard switching and electrical plan that we do in order to get the client's approval. But we tell them that while we're waiting for committee of adjustments, that's when we get the lighting designer in and that's when we get the lighting budget and nothing's happened yet. Nothing's being close to being built. Um, and that seems to be working much better for us. Yeah, that's it's a very early. good. That's a yeah. very good stage. You're getting the conversation started early, and you and you're putting some concept um, uh, drawings together. But with the lighting designer component, you have two um, very big ads. So when it comes to um, decorative lighting and recessed lighting, those are really the two main categories. Of course, we can have like you know accent lighting for under, uh, under counter lighting. We have uh, art art lighting as well. But for the general lighting, it's going to be you know surface mounted um, sconces. You can have pendants, decorative fixtures, uh, outdoor outdoor lighting, landscape lighting, but a lot of recessed lighting also uh, within the home. So that's where it's really important to get an education prior to bringing it up to the client of what is available, what price points make sense, what are the finishes, the trims, the, um, you know, whether you, you know, you see the lamp, if you look from up, if it lends. So, so in our showroom here in Malibu, like we have all that stuff show and tell because it's very important. It's not just a round or a square downlight that's four inches. Um, and they're all the same because they're not, there's dimming technology. That's, that's, that's different. There's wiring protocols that's different. There's percentage of dimming that that's different. There's trim, there's trimless, there's different, um, so many different uh, beveled and pinhole and all different reveals and all that, because that to me is doing a great job. So I could show you as the interior designer, do you like these looks? They're all going to work. The lights are all going to come on. But when the lights are off, the aesthetic is really something that has to match your vision for what this home is going to be. Because mm -hmm. the interior design incorporates the light fixture trims. That's part of your interior design. Outlets, plates, colors, um, you know, switchers or dimmers or keypads, if there's going to be sensors and speakers and everything I think should be coming under your umbrella and it's not at the moment. And that's what you and I have to figure out how to change that because... Yeah. It's part of, so, you know, if you're wallpapering a wall, I have no idea. 
And then I have a, a standard up. Oh, no, we just putting in white decor devices. And then you have a beautiful, you know, full painted red wall from a guy from Italy that you had come down with, with a $15, um, you know, switch yeah. on there. That's How many times have I seen that? A million times. And I right. think, oh my gosh, it's the worst, but it's such an easy problem to circumvent if you're talking mm-hmm. about it early. Are you attracting less than ideal clients or worse, no clients at all from Instagram? If so, you're missing out on a lucrative advertising and marketing resource for your interior design firm. No worries. Darla Powell, founder of Wingnut Social, has designed a course just for you, Instagram for interior designers. It's a comprehensive seven-module course with downloadable worksheets and over 40 lessons where you will learn how to optimize your Instagram account, create captivating and visually appealing content, attract more organic followers, leverage Instagram's key features, and develop a successful content strategy that attracts your ideal clients. Taught by Darla and a team of seasoned experts with years of experience in social media marketing and interior design, enrolling in this course means bidding farewell to the struggles and overwhelm of Instagram and saying hello to intentional strategic marketing to attract your ideal clients. Don't miss this chance to transform your interior design business. Use code BOD20 to enjoy a limited time discount of 20%. Head on over to wingnutsocial.com and check out Wingnut Academy to learn more. Instagram for interior designers. Can we talk for a minute about um, downlights, potlights? I call them hag lights because I think the lighting can be so unflattering and you walk into so many places where it's like, a row of like right. incessant spotlights. Yeah. It's Correct. so horrible. We call that the How are we going to, what do you call it? What? The runway effect where you the have runway effect. 800. Yeah, I call it hag lighting. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's really important in, in those type of large areas to create different spaces. So, you know, nine out of 10 times, you don't really, so you'll have a row of downlights, let's say three or four of them. But if it's a very open, you know, floor plan nowadays with the way um, homes are have the living room, the kitchen, the thing all in one big area, most, you know, spec developers would just do, you know, rows of lights, like you said, and that's the runway effect. It's, it's crazy. Instead of breaking up those areas where you're going to have, you know, uh, dedicated uh, art lighting, you could have some coves where you have some some cove lighting. You can have back lighting around some sort of wood feature by the TV wall. And that really kind of breaks up the space. Um, obviously pendants, you know, and, and, um, you know, fixtures over the Island as well, but those sort of accents are even in wall, um, uh, flush mounted linears to create some accent. And, and it's all part of that, that look, instead of just saying, okay, white walls, 800 lights in the ceiling in four rows, break them up every three foot on center and call it a day. That's, that's not going to do anything for the space. That's why yeah. you have like, that's imagine your, your job, right? Imagine you don't have window treatments, Right. You don't have rugs. You don't have anything besides a parquet floor. What kind of interior design is that? that yeah. So that's the same thing with lighting. It shouldn't be just like, okay, just down lights and that's it, you know? Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's one of my biggest frustrations. And getting people to buy table lamps and floor lamps and, you know, get some light near your face and art lamps and um oh gosh yeah right so we have to do we have to do a better job um if i um i would love to know if you have a favorite pot light a favorite 
Are there favorite fixtures that you just go to all the time? Yeah, so there's some some typical brands that we uh, that we recommend. So the manufacturers, uh, one is called DMF, and what's great about their particular brand is that um, primarily it's one housing, and then you can kind of like plug and play of what you want to go into that housing. So the lumens, which is the uh, the the you know uh, element that that's uh, given the light source that's within the fixture, that can be uh, interchanged. So if you have, for example, down lights and art lights within the same area, it's the same housing that goes up during construction. And then when you do the ordering, you say, okay, I need two spots for the art lights, and then I want wide floods at forty degree for the down lights. You order those as you need them. Instead of like worrying about it ahead of time, saying, oh, my God, we we need one more art light. And now that's a six week lead time and you're already starting to close up your ceilings. You know, you're kind of messed at that point. So what's great about that company, it's very flexible. It's a good price point, um, but it's also an architectural grade. Like a, it's a high end fixture. It's not a, you know, off the shelf at, at your local Home Depot uh, fixture um, and uh, Lutron as well. So Lutron will get you into the higher end bracket. Um, and what's important to know about Lutron is when you have the um, lighting control technology tied in with this home if it, if it's a luxury environment the wiring is um doesn't go to the lighting control system it goes to the electrical system and not to get too technical here but what that eliminates is more uh dimming modules that you don't need to purchase anymore when you go with traditional lighting which is um not from the same manufacturer that does control systems the more um areas that you have that you're going to control independently, which means the more zones you have, the more dimming modules I have, the cost goes up. But Lutron, so if you're putting in a Lutron um, Homeworks lighting control system and you're pairing that with a Lutron or Catcher, which is another manufacturer we could talk about that's owned by Lutron, uh, together then the uh, cost of the equipment goes down, even though the fixture cost goes up, but then you get more flexibility about it. So one thing about downlights, I love using this analogy, is that if you have a brand name something, a Chanel bag or any sort of fancy brand, everything about that fancy brand is branded all over it, right? There's the Yves Saint Laurent symbol, the Gucci symbol, all over. It's like almost like every square inch of that bag is labeled. So everybody knows, oh my God, this is the whatever bag, right? It's known to have cachet because it's expensive. Doesn't mean it's necessarily better. A Jansport backpack could be the same zipper quality. Maybe you made it the same factory, but that is irrelevant because it's not fancy like the Gucci bag. But with lighting, the reason why light fixtures are more expensive is because they're better performed um, fixtures. So the dimming quality is amazing. The LEDs are all consistently made in the same factory. You know, the the, the testing of the standards, you know, um, the quality of the materials. So when a light goes up, you have no idea if it's a $30 light, a $300 light, or an $800 light. Because it's up. Nobody knows that it's a catcher light or a DMF right. light, Home Depot light. It's up, up in there. But it's how long is it going to last? What's the color consistency like with the fixture next to it? How low can it dim? Does it go to only 10% like most fixtures? Or can it go to 5% or 1% or 0.1%, which is you know in the higher category for dimming, which is like candlelight? So, so that's a really good analogy to understand is a light fixtures more because it's a better performing product, a downlight, for example. Right. Decorative is getting more into like the art world, like something... You know, yeah. if it's hand-blown crystal versus, you know, I mean, that's all subjective on, on certain decorative lights um, based on style. But as far as down lights, that's my opinion. On that. Okay. So um, I don't know if you can see these pot lights. 
Can you see them? You know, I do, but I can't see if they're trimless in the background. They're like trimless. Like they're round, trimless with a bevel trim on the inside. I yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Correct. I, so we renovated, this is my place in Santa Monica, and yeah. we got the word from our building that we could renovate in March of 2020. Okay. So we're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, there's this thing that's happening now, a pandemic. Like, right. how am I going to yeah. So we're not here. We live half the year in Toronto. We're back in Toronto. We hire a contractor we've never met because my A-team uh, contractor retired. Nicest guy ever. But it's not an inexpensive renovation. And it's right. not an inexpensive place to live. Look, I'll show right. you. You can see. I can tell you. Oh, yeah. Oh, are you? Yeah, of course. You know, it's a terrible building, but it's the best view I've, in the world. I've worked, I've worked in that building. Yeah. Isn't it a nightmare? I wish I had known you. Anyway, it's nice crazy. To try the, the, you know, the yeah. parking with the different levels and, and insane building. Yes, totally insane. They should do a reality show about this crazy building. <laughs> Contractor, sweetest guy in the whole world, did not know what he was doing. And mm. one day we're talking, and I, you know, I'm doing everything over Zoom and FaceTime. Right. And I see the pot lights, and I'm like, what? Show me what's on the ceiling. And it was like one of those big, ugly Home Depot. I'm like, right. So that's the why they go would right you, to Home Depot. They throw them in their shopping cart, the five inch with the LED retrofit trim. Right? I'm like, it, what are you doing? Like, this is so right. much money. How could you possibly think I'm going to be okay with that? Right. So anyway, we upgraded to these. But the funny story is they, they put them in, but the finishing around it is terrible because he's sweet and he doesn't know what he's doing. So you can even buy really good things, but you've got to have people who know right. what they're doing at every exactly. step of your project. I guess that was a long so no, long-winded story to get no, there. No, I, I, I completely understand. So what we have done in the past is when these trimless devices first came out, it started with lighting. Okay, trimless downlights like you have over your head and then into linear lights. And now into actual outlets and uh, switches and keypads and iPad uh, mounts and thermostats all have trimless mounts. There's like four manufacturers that um, make recessed plaster back boxes to house electrical lighting devices to make them smooth into the wall, like seamless to get rid of that surface mounted plate. So it went from the lighting into the into the wall items, right? Like I just said. So in the beginning, what we used to do is we used to um, ask the carpenter through the GCs to please give us a stud bay with, you know, just a three foot piece of square sheetrock and let him practice, let him do it. You know, mm -hmm. let him understand it because I want you yeah. and the client to sign off on the finish because even though I didn't do the plastering, that's not my trade. For some reason, the plaster does a bad job and they look at it like, oh, the electrician did a terrible job because the lights yeah. Right. Well, it ruins the investment of the beautiful lights, right? 100%. Like, you and then if you try to get the trim out, then it chips the paint around there. So that it's yeah. really a little bit of care that needs to get done. So I believe in mock-ups. Let them do it. Let them practice it. Let them do it over again until everybody loves how it looks. And they said, "Okay, beautiful." Do the rest of the, of the project. That's really smart. And it's what's comforting about this is I know you're an expert in your category. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to know how to plaster. You just have to know that the person you're going to turn it over to does know how to plaster. Well, right. So, so it like finishes what team. you've started. Exactly. So it's a like-minded team. And also a lot of these manufacturers have videos. I, I know it sounds crazy, but on their websites, a yeah. tutorial video of an install. So it shows like, you know, what type of like, you know, compound tape to use. Is it mesh or is it just the fiber tape and just exactly how to do it? And because they want to sell their product there, they want it to look good. 
So yeah. they empower the installer to follow the step-by-step instructions, do a great job. And and I believe eventually you'll see nothing's trimmed. And yeah. wood now it's becoming trimmed. Everything's going to be, there's no reason for it. Yeah. I love the more discreet it can all be, the better, That's right? The whole thing. Speakers so too, same. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, so exciting. What would you say are your pet peeves when you walk into a lighting space? Give us like your top five pet peeves. Yeah. So, uh, well, right away it's, it's why did they choose these devices? Why is there a five gang switch box when you first walk in? So first I look at, um, the lighting controls and I see if there's a lighting control system, if it's in a radio frequency system, which means more of like a retrofit or is it a low voltage system? Like I talked about earlier. So, you know, that's one of my pet peeves because you're going to walk into a $50 million house in Bel Air and you're going to see the 1985 job there. And I'm like, I cannot yeah. believe this. Wow. So, so that that's one of them. Um, two is a similar thing, but with lighting is to see why would they choose those, you know, commercial electric cans versus something really, you know, more bespoke. Um, and um, motorized window treatments. So, they don't want to do it. They don't really know about it. And it's almost like we could do an episode just on that. So then there's like a five or six window bay where there's uh, motor, uh, non-motorized uh, window treatments. So then you have all these cords dangling down in between each window bay. Like things like that don't make sense. And these are not like, you know, very inexpensive low-income housing or track homes where everything's, a, you know, these are custom, beautiful projects. And I just think a lot of times it's the wrong people making the wrong decisions and and that's why they need, you know, somebody like myself or yourself involved as early as possible. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Great conversation. Thank you so much. And we like to end every episode with something we call design intervention, which is just a great piece of business advice. Okay. Base, uh, okay. That's a good one. Okay. Let's see. Um, surround yourself with like-minded people, mm-hmm. whether it's in the construction industry or really whatever your business in, if you're fighting and they're saying, well, why would you do that? Or it's just, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong space. Like, you know, you, the whole job is there. It, it, let's, let's talk about our industry, right? We want to, we want to um, do a great job for the client. That's everybody's goal. So there shouldn't be like, I'm the architect, I'm the boss. Oh, you're the contractor. You, you're, you're just do what I tell you to do. Like that. I don't believe in any of that. And there is a real hierarchy in our industry and the subcontractors are the lowest on the totem pole. And they're the ones that do all the work. So I think there's a really big disconnect there. So m- is treat everybody everybody with respect and um, surround yourself with like-minded people and all come up to the same common goal, which is, you know, please the client. How does that, how do you apply that to clients? How do you, how do you, do you have any process for figuring out if that client's going to be a good fit for you? Yes. So when we meet with a client, whether it's in our showroom, on the phone or, or on their site, if I see them as arrogant and that, that they're going to be hard to work with because you know, I don't know how you feel, but like when somebody shows up at my house, I'm like thrilled. I'm yeah. making coffee. I'm so excited to be there. Thanks. How was the drive? Like, I need them to help me out with whatever it is. It's a ficus okay. tree or, you know, a plumbing or whatever it is. Right. So I believe in life. Um, you have to treat everybody with, with respect. And if I see a client, not that I, I've walked away from a lot of jobs because I yeah. can't engage with somebody for two, three years if if I feel like there's just a disconnect, you know, not saying they have to like roll out the red carpet for us, but there is, you know, a lot of money involved. There's a lot of transactions involved. There's expectations involved. There's schedules involved. There's real emotions involved. And it's about assembling a team and it can be amazing or it can go really, really horribly. 
Rock. Mm-hmm. And three years so, is a long time. A long time. Well. And, and we've worked through so many jobs right now throughout the pandemic. And, you know, you're locked into contracts and, and you just do the best you can to get through it and not look at everything as dollars and cents. So, you know, it has to be the right fit. You know, if you didn't have to engage with somebody and you were able to just order something, process the credit card and ship it out, that's different because there's no emotion. There's no connections there. But when you're you know, working with somebody on a custom project, you're you're in their lives. You're you know in their kids' names. You understand their flow and where they make breakfast and you know what they're going to be really excited about. How to you know gear if the kids you you know do uh, gaming and and they want to you know or if there's a home theater and you just learn everything about each other and you try to make it an epic experience and it is really rewarding after the job is over when you bump into the client at the coffee place and he tells you that he sits in his home at night and he just can't believe how the lighting is. And he's just so excited that he did it. And he's never thought of this before. And like, and, and, you know, I mean, listen, I didn't, I didn't cure cancer, but it, it does make you feel good. Well, it changes your lifestyle. It changes your ability to enjoy your, the environment that you spend a lot of money on. Yep. So it's, it's a game changer. And I wish so much I had met you three years ago because, uh, we literally had yesterday, this probably won't be in the podcast, but maybe it will. There's a misconception that every contractor is the same oh. for some reason. Yeah. Every doctor's not the same. Every They're not interchangeable. Not the same. So why does everybody think that a contractor is the same? So if I give you a price of 100000 and someone gave you a price of 50000 you would say, oh, my God, that's great. I just saved 50000 But you probably even haven't even read the proposal yet. No. What are the parts and pieces? I think bids are very, very um, uh, misleading. They're not, they're not detailed enough. I yeah. think a lot of times the contractor should be the one to work with the design team and get out the scope of work. So the contractors price that only and not their interpretation of the drawings. So many yeah. great areas, you know, and. Um, That's so, yeah. how we work. We have two. Um, most of my work is in Toronto and mm-hmm. we have two solid construction teams and they are so good. Amazing. And they they give us a quote and they do what they say they're going to do and they go above and above, beyond. And I say to my clients, they're not going to be the cheapest quote, but 100% of my clients like these guys. And, and you want to go with someone else, you're going to work with the different designer because I'm not working with wow. anyone I don't know. Wow, that's good but then know. it came time to do my place and I just panicked. Well, isn't that crazy how you're so, um, you know, dialed yeah. in on one aspect but also yeah. doing it remotely is hard too because you're not around. You don't know what it's like when they yeah. broke up in the wall and, and you know, if someone so yeah. didn't show up today. And Yeah, if you're ever in this building, I will pay you to come and take a look. And okay. uh, there's like 10, I, the drywall is a little wavy. Like yeah. I, well, I know the different. elevators are really tough there. We had to do a lot of stair climbing. You have a little grass. Good. Anyway, we're getting there. <laughs> All right, excellent. And when are you going back to Canada? Oh, not till June. We're, oh. we're normally here January to June, but with the pandemic, we thought, oh, we'll go back. I didn't. We didn't know what to do. So, anyway, we not ended up with this weather today. Seventy-five and sunny, right? Not bad at all. Yeah, I'll take yeah. it. Yeah, it's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, have a awesome. great day, and I'll get you that Perfect. contact. All right. All right. Bye for Thank now. You Thank so you. Bye. Thanks for listening and supporting the BOD mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. If you're ready to implement an exact business model for running a streamlined, profitable business, field tested by thousands of design professionals around the world, head to businessofdesign.com and get started today. It's time to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. 